And so as we move into this time of hope, this week for us was actually, uh, we had some hope, we had some anticipation. Hannah, for the first time ever, was like, hey dad, I don't want to just sit in a deer stand with you, I want to kill my first deer. And I was like, okay, that's great. You're going to have to ask Grandpa. And so she goes up to Grandpa, and she's like, Grandpa, I want to kill a deer. Now, now mind you, my, my, my father-in-law has a lot of land that he farms, okay? I've been married to Katie for like 15 years. I've been like, Carl, can I hunt that field down there? He's like, nah, man, that's our field. My daughter comes up, Grandpa, can I hunt a deer? And he's like, let me put you on the best field. I was like, what is this? And so we go this week, we head down to our, our hometown or up to our hometown, Cooper, Texas. Hannah is stoked. She has put her hope in this hunting trip. She knows she's going to get one. I sighted in the guns before we got out there. Now take, take in mind, Hannah has never shot a rifle before, okay? But she's going to kill a buck. Like she is going to be the great whitetail hunter. And so we get there Tuesday afternoon. She's, we go and I'm like, all right, baby, you got to practice shooting. And she's just like drilling holes. I was like, this is crazy. This is awesome. Tuesday night was her night. Wednesday night was going to be Micah's night. Tuesday night was her night. And so we go out, we get in the blind, all four of us in a little pop-up blind. And I'm like, this is crazy. And right off the bat, all these deer come out. And then she's like, Dad, my scope is super crooked. And so I look through, and the scope is like turned sideways from the time we were shooting to the time we got in the blind. I'm like, I look at Katie, I was like, it's not happening tonight. And so I kind of line it back up. And, and sure enough, she didn't get a deer that night. And she was honestly in tears, like she had put her hope in this idea that she was going to kill a buck and it was going to be really satisfying, it was going to be really cool, and she missed it. She missed the opportunity with something she couldn't even control. And so we woke up the next morning, we're getting ready to go that evening, it's Micah's turn, and Micah's like, Dad, I don't want to sit in the stand for five hours. He was like, there's no deer going to come out. I was like, okay, Hannah, do you want to go? She was like, yes. So we go back out, we sight the gun in again, she's drilling it from like 100 yards away. I was like, this is crazy. We get in the stand at 2.40, and at like 3 o'clock, they just come. And here comes the ugliest spike you have ever seen. I mean, it was like this. I mean, I was like, that's the ugliest deer I've ever seen. But it comes right to the feeder at 50 yards away. I was like, baby, here it is. You're going to get to get, kill your first deer. It's at 50 yards. It's going to be perfect. And she takes the shot, and that dude didn't go 20. I'm talking about it laid down, and we were rejoicing. It was exciting. I was like, yes, we're going to make it back in time for dinner. This is awesome. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so I turned to her, I was like, you got your deer. This is what we came from. Let's, let's, let's go and let's get it. And she's like, Dad, I want a bigger buck. And I was like, well, I guess technically you could kill a spike in a big buck, but you got one here, let's go. She's like, no, Dad, I want to wait for a bigger one. What she had hoped for already didn't satisfy, right? She was like, no, there's got to be something better than that because that didn't give me everything I promised. So I was like, all right. We'll sit out here tonight, and sure enough, uh, there's a spike. You can't see the ugly part of it here because it's being held, but that's Hannah shooting her first deer ever. And then literally an hour later, here comes a perfect, mature 10-point buck at 110 yards, and she smoked it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's bigger than any deer I've ever killed. My 9-year-old just smoked this big buck. And here's what's amazing to me, all right? This, this is such a great picture of, of this idea of hope. Right? She had these high anticipation, this, this great hope that she was going to kill a deer and it was going to be awesome. She shot her first buck. We rejoiced for like two seconds. She was like, nah, that wasn't enough. I need Big Daddy to come out. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this. When, the, when we shot this deer and we ran up, it was really exciting. Like it, it, it did deliver a little bit. Like this is, was an exciting moment. But we got in the car after I gutted both of her deer for her that she wasn't going to touch. And we took them to the processing plant. And on the way to the processor, she's like, Dad, I want to kill a bigger one next year. And I was like, of course you do. Why? 
Because even though this was a hope that she had that did deliver at some level, it did not sustain. And and, and for you and I, here's what we've got to realize. Hope is massively important. And there is a hope that that does not, not deliver and there is a hope that delivers. And there is a hope that does not sustain and there is a hope that sustains. And the question is, where do you and I put our hope? Because more than likely, you've found in your own life that you've hoped and wished and thought, man, maybe this moment will happen. Maybe this thing will come to fruition. And when it does, you're like, that didn't quite give me what I thought it would give me. Why? Because there is no hope outside of Christ that matters. In fact, I found this article. Listen to this. This is how important hope is. This is not a Christian article. Uh, th- this is a professor that, uh, that wrote this article, did a little study also with, um, with Harvard and, and gave us some information. Here, here was the name of this uh, article, How Hope Can Keep You Healthier and Happier. What psychologists and scientists are already finding out in their study of people and hope is that the idea of hope in a person's life actually makes you healthier. Here's a few of the things they found out. Harvard did a study on 13,000 people at the average age of 66. And they wanted to see what is the difference for those that have hope and don't have hope. And here's what they found out. They found that those with more hope throughout their lives had better physical health, better health behaviors, better social support, and a longer life. And it also led to the study that they have fewer chronic health problems, less depression, less anxiety, and less chance of cancer just because of hope. I'm like, that's, that's profound to think about that hope can have this much of an impact on the human spirit. And here's what's sad to me. You got this doctor writing this thing with all of his research and all of his study, and he, he gets down in the article and he goes, hey, look, I know that hope is hard to maintain. Right? Hope is fleeting and sometimes it disappoints. And so when you start losing hope in your life, he gives us four ways, not Christian ways, but four ways in his mind that you can regain some hope. And here's what they were. His first was attend a motivational speech or listen to motivational podcasts. And all the study in Harvard and all these smart people, they go, hey, maybe just listen to a podcast every now and again. Here's what's amazing to me. Number two was this, engage with a religious or spiritual community. Here's what he wrote. This has worked for millennia. Amidst a community of like believers, people have drawn strength, found peace, and experienced the elevation of the human spirit just by knowing there is something or someone much larger than themselves. His third one, forgive. He said, for those that live a lifestyle of forgiveness, it actually brings more hope and produces less anxiety and less depression. And then, and I'm reading this, I'm going like, these are biblical truths you just don't see. It's not, not all lining up for him. His last one was this, choose a hero of hope. And he said, I, I'm gonna give you the examples of the ones that I use because these help me. And he said, Nelson Mandela, Franklin Roosevelt, and Ronald Reagan. Not to belittle what those people have done, but I'm just telling you, he's going, look, hope is hard to hold on to. So maybe if you hit your wagon to these things, it will provide some hope when it starts to wane. Start thinking about people that did great things that give you hope. Start, start listening to people that will tell you good things that might bring you hope. Forgive somebody. Or hey, maybe just go sit in a church service because those people seem to have hope. Like I love this. It saddens me and it excites me because there's truth of the gospel in this, yet it's a little bit misplaced. And here's what I'm going to tell you guys. From the beginning of time, people have put their faith and their hope in, in wrong things. To me, hope equates to faith. 
When we say we hope in something, what we're doing is we're putting our faith in that this thing, this outcome, this event is going to give me what my soul needs to survive and be satisfied. And we are a people, even as Christians, even as God followers for all of history, have been a people with misplaced hope. I want to read to you a couple of scriptures. This morning we're going to be diving into scripture. I hope you're ready for it. Exodus 20, there's this moment where God has brought the people of Israel out of slavery, right? They were slaved in Egypt. He brought them out by great signs, great wonders. I don't know if you remember, they instantly make like a golden calf and start worshiping this. And they're like, this is who saved us. This golden calf we just made out of everybody's earrings. And God is up on the mountain with Moses and he gives him the Ten Commandments. And this was not some list of arbitrary rules that's like, hey, do this and I'll love you. Don't do this and I won't love you. He goes, this is for your good. If you want the human spirit to flourish, if you want to have hope that does not go away, his first commandment was what? Don't put any other God before me. Don't bow down and worship anything else other than me. Don't hit your hope and your faith to anything outside of me because it will end in destruction for you. And he even goes on to say, and it might even bring some generational curses that your kids and your grandkids will continue to have this destruction in their life because you're hitching your hope and your faith to something that will not satisfy. I've used this verse before, Jeremiah 21, 13. Listen to this, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. There there is just this innate propensity in us because of sin that we go, God, I know you. I know you're all that can satisfy Jesus. I've experienced that from you. And then the world goes, hey, this is everything that will bring hope. And we go, you know what? That's probably right. And we begin to drink from these broken bowls is pretty much what it's saying. And we're going, man, this was I drink this in. This will satisfy. If these things happen, if I pursue these things, it will give me what I want. And we drink and there's nothing but dirt and dust. And it kills us. It causes destruction. We walk around with no hope and we're going, why do I not have hope in my life? Why am I not finding peace in my life? Why am I not finding joy in my life? And And the Lord's going, you're drinking from the wrong fountain. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 1, 21 through 25. For all know, although they knew God, this is important, church. These are people that knew God, knew who he was, knew what he had accomplished. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is important. We live in a world right now where information is just at our fingertips and everybody is telling us earthly wisdom and what they think is right. And we have these moments where we're inundated with all these ideas of what wisdom is and we begin to drink those in and go, you know what, maybe they're right. Maybe all I need is a motivational speaker. Maybe all I need to do is go forgive someone I'm mad at. This will bring me hope and we drink it in and and in the end the Bible says that we have become fools chasing after what we think is wise. Listen, verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Listen, this is one of the scariest to me verses that God will do for you and I in love. There's moments where we'll go, hey, I'm going to put my hope in this. This seems like this may work better than you, Lord. And he goes, all right, I'm going to give you over to that. I'm going to let you ride that bad boy to the ground and you let me know how it works out for you at the end. And I'm telling you, for some of us, 
That's where we find ourselves in the dirt going, I have no hope. How did I even end up here? Because God's gone, hey, I'm going to let you follow after what you think is wise. So that in the end, you'll realize you were a fool and come back to me. It's done out of love. It's done out of a, a hope to restore us. But sometimes he will turn us over to our own desires for our own demise. So that we'll see that he is good. And listen to what it said. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And listen, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I don't know what it is about us, guys, but we love to worship the things that God has created for us to enjoy rather than to worship him. We love to hitch our wagon of hope and say, man, if these things will happen, I will be satisfied. I'm going to run as hard as I can after this. It will get my time. It will get my energy. It will get my money. It will get my resources. I'll sacrifice my kids for these things. I'll sacrifice what I think and know to be right to have these things. And the Lord is going, hey, I'm going to turn you over to that so you realize that in the end, it's going to lead to destruction and you can turn to me. There's a, there's a pastor called, uh, his name's Tim Keller. He's up in New York City. He's done incredible theological um, work for us in the last 30 years. And one of the things he says is that all of our sin, everything that you struggle with, everything I struggle with is a result of idolatry, right? Our anger and our lust and our greed and our, all these things are because of idolatry, because we're worshiping the created thing rather than the creator, and he whittles it down and he says, there are four source idols, four big daddies in which everything else comes from. And here's what he said. And here's, here's what I want us to do. Before we talk about the promises of God and then the hope that's found in Jesus, I, I want us to really be real with our own heart and life and ask the spirit of God to begin to go, hey, where are the areas that I'm putting hope in things that are broken cisterns? Where are the places that I'm bowing my heart down to idolatry, hoping that it will give me something that only you can give? And so this morning, even, I want you to ask the question, as I ask the question, where do we place our hope? And how do we know if one of these source idols is an idol we're worshiping? And here's how I think we'll know. As I go through this quick list, here's what I want you to be thinking about. Hey, what are the things when they are threatened in your life that produce anger? Right? The times that you lash out in anger, what produced that? The, the, the times that you run towards lust, what are you looking for in that? The, the times that you become extremely anxious, what is causing that? The times that you're riddled with fear and worry, what, what is causing those things? Because here's what's going to, as I, as I go through this list, if you'll begin to go, okay, God, the last time I was extremely angry, <laughs> man, it was because of that. And we'll begin to see the places that we're putting our hope in that are really idols. And so the first source idol is this, it's power. And he says, this is a longing for influence or recognition. In our day and time, a lot of this is also monetary, right? Like power equates to how much money you have as well. And so what the Bible would say, hey, when was the last time that you, because your name was up? Or, or you felt like, man, I'm losing some power and some recognition. Or, hey, my, my, I'm finding my hope and my pride and, and my finances. That that kind of got threatened a little bit and it brought some anger or some angst or some worry out of you. When's the last time you looked at your 401k and you were like, dude, it dropped this week. And you begin to become anxious. The Bible says you're placing your hope in your 401k. 
When's the last time you thought, man, this, pe- this person needs to know that I'm a person of influence? Do they not know what my job, what my career is? Do they not know where I've been from? And then we begin to go, they don't know who I am, and that threatens us. You've placed your hope in something other than Christ. You've placed it in power. The next is this, and man, I'll just tell you, out of all of these, this is where I struggle the most. Control, a longing to have everything go according to plan. I am a person that wants to make sure I can hedge in everything around me to go exactly the way I want it. And when it doesn't, when my kids don't act the way I want them to, when things aren't going the way I want with my wife and I, when the church all of a sudden takes a a turn, I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. What are we gonna do here? When people don't respond to me the way I want them to, it creates all kinds of fear and anxiety and worry and anger because all of a sudden my idol of control is being threatened. I put my hope in if I can control everything, if I can make sure we're all safe and we're all in control, everything's good. But if that gets threatened, man, it, it begins to produce in me all kinds of sin. Why? Because my hope is in control, something I can never have anyway. The next is comfort. I mean, I would say living in America, <laughs> this is all of us at some level. Some of us long for no responsibility. Like we live our life for those moments where we can go, man, I'm hedging off work. I'm hedging off family. I just want time for myself. I want comfort. I want to be able to go and just do what I want to do. And so we live our life for this. And if it gets threatened, we get angry, right? Why do you have responsibilities for me today? This is my time to go and be by myself and do my thing. You're threatening my comfort. You're threatening my security. I, 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 want, this, I want this time for me. Man, and it will eat at us. And here's, what, here, here's one real easy way to know that comfort's one. If you begin to spend your time and your money that you don't really have to give to, to get these things so that you can have either your next hobby or your moment, and you're going, man, I, I don't care. Whatever it costs, I'm getting this because I want comfort. It's an idol in your heart. And then the last is this approval. A longing to be accepted or desired. To me, this enslaves us so quickly when we live our life that the hope that we have is found in how people look at us. You will live your life an anxious mess thinking about every word that you just had in that conversation, every action. Did I do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? Man, did they leave think, taking it wrong? I don't know. Oh my gosh, I need to make sure that they know who I am and that I'm for them and that I'm a good person and that they can trust me. All this defines who you are and you live and you die by what other people think. And it doesn't, you don't even know what they think. You live and you die by what you think other people think. And it enslaves you. And you live your whole life going, look, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a white lie. I'll go ahead and embellish the truth a little bit so people look at me and think a little bit differently about me. I'll go ahead and, 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 and put aside what I know is morally right for the sake of someone else thinking that I'm a good person. And so the Bible would say as we do this, we are drinking from cisterns that are broken and run dry. And here's what's crazy, guys. The world goes, hey, look, if you'll put your hope in X, Y, Z, it's going to give you everything you need. And none of it's promised. Like power and your, and your resources and your, and your money is not promised. Your, your control, man, you can control all you want in your household, but you can't control your kid's health. You can't control your health. You can't control how someone else responds to you. There's, it's a facade. 
It's not guaranteed. You, you can try to do everything you can to grab comfort, but in the end, we begin to get bored. Like when we go, man, I want no responsibility, we find ourselves being bored then. None of them give us what they promise. And you can't control the acceptance of someone else in your life, yet we live our life worshiping these things as idols. And God is going, I'm gonna turn you over to that. And, and I would guess that some of you in this room live with a lot of angst, a lot of fear, a lot of worry, a lot of concern. You find yourself spending more money than you actually have to live on. You find yourself doing some things, stretching the truth, going a little bit into the gray area for the sake of these source idols. And God is going, listen, I am your hope. You are leading down a path of destruction that will entangle you and slave you forever. None of it's promised. And so here's what I want to do in this remaining time. We're about to just like hardcore look at some scripture. And I'm going to read a lot because the word's a lot better than my words. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at how the advent of Christ, his arrival, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his perfect life on our behalf has given us promises for today. Places we can put our hope in. And so let's just buckle up and we're going to jump in. 2 Peter 1 verses 2 through 4 says this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful deceit. He says, you want peace? You want grace, you want hope, then you're gonna have to elevate your knowledge of the truth and you're gonna need to begin to teach yourself the promises of God for those that are in Christ. And so here comes our promises because of the advent, the arrival, the coming of Jesus for today. Number one, we are sons and daughters of God. John 1, 12 through 13 says this, but to all who didn't receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. He says, listen, it's not dependent on you and I. I have made you my son. I have made you my daughter. This is because of what Christ has done. This is where your hope is found. The next is this, we have access to God because of the advent of Jesus. Ephesians 30, 11 through 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Boldness and access to come confidently before the king of the universe. I had a friend the other day go, man, what was the deal with the veil ripping in half when Jesus died? And what that, mean, what that meant for us was all of eternity up to that point to go into the presence of God was left to one man, the high priest. And he would enter in through this, this veil in the temple to be in the presence of God. And Jesus dies on the cross and it says that, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And it said, now you and I, the common people have access to God whenever we want and we can come confidently because of what Jesus has done. Number three, we are loved by God. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. You wanna be rooted? You wanna be grounded in hope and joy and peace? Here's where it's found. It's found in the love of Jesus 
Verse 18, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Do you want the fullness of God? The the Bible says, hey, look to the love of Jesus. It is so high, it is so wide, it is so deep for you and I that we can't even comprehend in our minds, but that is where hope is found, that creator God knew everything about us and pursued us in love through Christ. We are created for a purpose. All of us want purpose. God has given us purpose. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that that we should walk in them. He has knit us together in our mother's womb. And he said, I'm gonna give you a certain amount of gifts and abilities. I'm gonna make you think certain ways so that you can live out the purposes that I have for you for my glory and your good. Sometimes God's purposes look a lot different than the purposes that we would have for ourselves because we're going, I want power. I want control. I want comfort. I want acceptance. And God's going, hey, my purpose looks a lot different than that, but I'm telling you, I created you for this. You have purpose. Number five, we are forgiven because of the advent of Christ. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We hear this all the time, right? Jesus forgave us. But can we be honest for a second? Like every motive that you've had, every thought, every action in the secret place where no one has seen you, all the stuff that just, you'd go, man, if people found this out, I would be undone. God says, I've forgiven that through Christ. We carry this this long list of things that we're ashamed of and we walk into this place and he goes, I've canceled the record of the debt. I've chosen to forgive and and to remember no more. I love this that he says he's forgiven us all our trespasses. Everything's done. It's finished in Jesus. And the record of debt that stood against you and I has been nailed to the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. You want hope? Man, you're more loved than you could ever know. You want hope? There's purpose and created purpose by God for your life. You want hope? You have access to the king of the universe at any time you want for him to hear your heart and answer and respond. You want hope? Man, he's taken away every mistake you have ever made. Everything that would terrify you for other people to know, he's taken it away. Number seven, we are able to overcome the world. Verse John 4.4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for, who is in, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I hear all the time because of the media and all these things of what's going on in our, in our world. It's like, oh man, the world's just crumbling right now. America's crumbling right now. How are we ever gonna survive? And God goes, I'm greater in you than he that's in the world. Quit walking around with no hope. Quit walking around in fear. I've already won the victory. There's nothing new under the sun happening today. Follow me. If you're worried and you're stressed and you're anxious and you're fearful, know that I've already overcome the world and I live inside of you. The enemy that wants to destroy your life, I'm greater than him. And lastly, verse eight, or number eight, we are given a new identity. 
Colossians 1, 21 through 22. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you. Listen, if you know Jesus, this is how God presents you to himself. as holy and blameless and above reproach. You have a new identity. You have the identity of Jesus Christ, his holiness, his righteousness, his perfection, and that is how God presents you to himself. This is amazing. Like, this is where hope, these are promises that, that we're not going, man, maybe this will happen. Maybe, maybe we can hope and hold on to, and maybe God will make us holy and blameless. He goes, no, these things I've done. And then I want to say this, just a couple here are some of the promises that we have in the second advent of Jesus. What, what hope do we find in the fact that Jesus is coming again for his bride? What hope do we have for what the future looks like? We have promises for today because of his first advent, but the second advent brings in promises for tomorrow. We cannot be separated from Christ's love. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our hope. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, there is nothing coming in your future that he's gonna bail out on you one day. People say you can lose your salvation. The, the scripture says the complete opposite of that. You didn't gain your salvation. You didn't earn your salvation. It was given to you by Jesus and he's not taking it away. We are his if we are in Christ. And there is nothing that will come your way in this life that will separate you from that love. You will overcome eventually. The second advent will bring a hope that God will complete what he began. I love this. Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you ever sit and go, man, am I ever going to get this right? <laughs> like, man, I'm trying I'm trying to follow Jesus and I just continue to not get this thing right. And Jesus goes, hey man, the work that I've started in you, I'm gonna see through to completion until the day that you're with me. There's hope in that. He will complete what he has started in you and I. Number three, we have victory over death. I read this verse at every funeral I go to because it is true and it is, it is something to remember. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do that have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Listen, I don't care what temporary circumstances come your way. There's a day where you and I will be reunited with the Lord. He's going to come and he's going to take us back to himself. And for the first time ever, we will understand what it means to walk in full joy, full hope, full peace. And lastly, we have a future hope of glory. 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Like we live in a world right now that is perishing. We live in a world right now that is very defiled. We live in a world that is fading, but there's coming a day where the imperishable, perishable, or the perishable will put on the imperishable. And he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining for you and I the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Jesus is protecting our eternity waiting for you and I to come and to be with him forever. And so here's the deal, guys. Like, my hope is like, I, I, we took about 10 promises of God out of the like 6 billion in the word. Like if I was to sit up here and just start reading over and over and over every promise of God for the believer, we would be here all day. And yet we sit as a people in the church feeling hopeless, and here's what I believe. I think we've forgot that, that 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Like these are promises to you and I. These are things that we hitch our wagon to that are unshakable. But you and I go, you know what I think might be better than eternity with God, the creator of the universe? You know what I think might be better than spending some time with Jesus and, and knowing who I am in him? We're like, I, I think money would be better than that. I think going fishing might be more fun than that. I think having no responsibility might be more fun than that. I think that maybe, maybe what might be better for me is that I build up a great name for myself so people know who I am. Some of us go, man, maybe if I could just get everybody to think I'm awesome, then I'll have fullness of life. And God's going, of course you are without hope. You've forsaken me and you've worshipped others. And so here's how I want to end how do we respond? You know, I actually love what the professor said. I, I think he was right. I think he just pointed us to the wrong things. And so here's how we respond today. He said we need to attend a motivational speech. Uh, what we do on Sunday mornings is not motivational speeches. <laughs> uh, today was probably not super motivational. Right, but what we do is we come and we bury ourselves in the truth and we hear the good news of Jesus and we're reminded of who we are in the gospel and it brings hope. I think he was right. We, we weekly come and we listen to the word of God. 
He said, engage in a religious or spiritual community. And I'm probably preaching to the choir here a little bit, but listen to me. Before COVID, it, it was said that if, if a person came to church 1.8 times a month, they considered themselves very committed to the gathering. What we're seeing after COVID now, because we got out of the habit, because we were able to watch it on a screen and that was really easy and we didn't have to mess around with other people that make us feel uncomfortable, is people are now coming six, every six weeks to eight weeks and feel very committed to the gathering. That's what we're seeing right now across the board in our nation. I'm going to go about every two months and I'll be, I'm committed, man. Wellspring's my place. And God's going, you're wondering why you're lacking in hope. I've given you the gathering of believers to come together and to rub shoulders with. And you know what? Sometimes it's messy, but it produces hope. And a commitment to what is happening in this moment is highly important. Not so that we can go, look at Wellspring, look how it's growing, look at all the people. No, it's for your good and my good that we come together and we, we meet and we worship and we remember the gospel together. He's given us this. Forgiveness. And I think walking in the forgiveness of Jesus is massively important for our hope. And then lastly, he said to choose a hero of, of hope. And here's what I would say. He's absolutely right. Jesus is our hero of hope. The question is, is that who you've hit your wagon to? Like, man, we can proclaim with our mouths, oh, I love Jesus. We can go to church nonstop. We can give and we can serve, but our, our heart bows down to someone else other than Jesus. And so here's what I'm asking of us. One is this, if you, don't, if you haven't placed your hope in Jesus, that's where it starts. He's inviting you into these promises. Like you want joy and you want peace and you want hope. He's saying, come, I am the cistern that is not broken. I am the cistern in the river that will not run dry. I will satisfy your soul. And then for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, here's what I want to ask you. If you were to write down the time this week that you were on your phone looking at social, that you watched the news, that you were listening to ESPN, that you were talking with friends about all the things of the world, that you spent time in your emails and your task lists and all these things that are inundating your mind that they are of, um, of greatest value, that they are where hope is found compared to the time that you spent with Bible intake and prayer and worship and being a part of the gathering, what does that look like for you? I mean, some of you come in here super thirsty spiritually, super parched spiritually, and God's going, hey, look, you, you keep drinking from your phone. You, you keep drinking from Fox News. You, you keep drinking from ESPN. You keep drinking from your job. Of course you're thirsty. Come and drink of me. And so that's what I desire for us in this Advent season is that we would be committed in these next four weeks to go, and how can, I, how can I press more into these things? How can I set my mind and my heart's attention on these things? And these others come, all right? But, but are we doing these things, the primary first? And then lastly this, this is how I end. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Christ has not just given us hope so that we can sit and be fat and happy and hold on to our hope. Man, you guys are, are literally missionaries in a world of darkness. 
You, you encounter people and students, old men and old women, young men and young women, in every aspect of what you do who go, there is not any hope. They're literally reading stuff on Google going, all right, Harvard said to listen to a motivational podcast today. Maybe that will get me through. And you and I have this opportunity to come know there, there is greater hope in Jesus. He's given me hope beyond today. He's given me hope for the future, and I want you to know that hope. What would it look like if you and your family committed this next four weeks to go, God, would you give us an opportunity to give a defense for the hope that is within us? Would you allow us to be able to share the gospel and see someone come to Christ? Man, when's the last time you prayed that prayer? Like, this is the mission of what God has called us to. This is the purpose. If we miss this purpose for every other purpose, we failed. And so he's calling us to go and give defenses for the hope that was, is within us. And I, can I tell you, as you begin to share the gospel, I, I believe that builds up our hope as people. And so whatever it is, when we fix our gaze and our eyes on Jesus, our hero of hope, let's pray. And so God, I thank you um, for these reminders. It's it's convicting to my own heart, God. I see these places where I go, man, this, this has got to give hope, and I chase after it, and, and sometimes you're gracious to go, hey, that's not the direction you want to go, and other times you let me go that direction to see that it doesn't provide. And so, God, I pray that we'd be honest with our own hearts. God, you invite us into life and life abundantly. And so I pray that you'd begin to show us where are the places that we're placing our hope and then God, to turn from that and to focus on who you have called us to be, your promises. Man, may your word be what, what, what brings us life and hope as we think and grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so God, I just pray for us this season that you would be our hope. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.